Hey, I'm Kyle, and thanks for checking out this message today. We are glad you're here, and we would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way you can do that is you can text River Connect one word to 97,000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and the upcoming events that we have going on. And lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text that amount to 84321, or again, you can check our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. We just want to say thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy today's message. So have you ever had something that you own, maybe you bought it, or so it was given to you, that you don't know how to use, right? What happens? You don't use it, right? You have this thing, you're like, you know, hey, I really don't know how to use it. Maybe, you know, it's it's too old and it's not on Google on how to use it. And so you just don't use it, right? And for me, when I was in Florida, I didn't know how to remote start my first car. I had remote start on it. No one really taught me. And when I was in Florida, you don't really need remote start on your car, right? It's always hot. It's always warmed up. You don't really need to worry about that stuff. But when I moved here to Michigan, uh, I quickly realized, yes, I do need my remote start, and so I need to figure out how to use it. Well, I turned to Google, I turned to, you know, I went to the dealership and asked them. No one could figure out how to get it turned on. I mean, it is a Volkswagen, so it's complicated. It was complicated, right? But for me, there, there are certain things, right, where you don't know how to use them, so you don't use them. But then when you figure out how to use those things, has it ever become a necessity for your life, right? Eventually, I sold that car, got a new car. Now... I don't need to figure out how to turn on my remote start because I got an app for it, right? And my app will turn on my remote start. And let me tell you, I don't know how I survived, right, before. How did I survive without knowing? Now it's like, oh, it's cold outside. Well, I, my car will be warm when I get out to it, right? I, I'm going to be excited about that. But it, it's interesting, right? There are certain things that When you don't know how to use them, they kind of like fall to the background. They become something that don't really matter. But when you figure out how to use them, they become a necessity. And when we look at scripture, we see certain things that we're told to utilize, right? There are things like prayer. There are things like scripture reading and understanding and memorizing scripture and fasting and all these different things that we label the spiritual disciplines. They're things that help you stay disciplined in your faith. But for a lot of us, we don't know how to use those things, We don't know how to utilize them. We don't know how to practice them. We don't know how to make those things regular parts of our lives. So what happens? We don't do them, right? And the very thing that should be necessary, the very thing that should be core, the thing that should be essential to our faith, to our relationship with Christ, we just don't do because we don't know how. And so this morning we're going to take a little bit of a look at one specific spiritual discipline. But before we jump into the word of the Lord, uh, pray with me if you would. Bow your heads. Lord, this morning as we dive into your word, I pray that you would give us clarity. That you would give us wisdom. You would give us understanding. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us. Lord, and you would help us to understand our need to practice certain things in our lives. 
And Lord, we love you and we do these things out of devotion to you because of what your son Jesus Christ did for us. Lord, we love you in your precious name, Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you've been with us for the last, I don't know how long, you're probably getting tired of hearing me say that. Well, here's, I'm, I hate to break it to you, we're gonna, you're going to hear me say it several more weeks, all right? We're going to continue in Matthew 6. Uh, if, you have, if this is your first Sunday, if you haven't been with us, uh, we have been diving into this section of the Sermon on the Mountain. So every kind of fall, uh, over the last couple years, we've come back to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And so this year specifically, we're taking a look at Matthew chapter 6 and all the things that he teaches there. And so if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, what's basically happening is Jesus, he was was walking, he was traveling, and there was people who had gathered around and were following him, right? He had his 12 disciples, but there was more than that, right? We, sometimes we think, oh, it was just Jesus and the 12 all the time. No, for a majority of the time, there was a lot of people following Jesus. So his 12 were there, and that were his intimate relationship. That was his intimate relationship where he was teaching them. Um, but as he taught them, there were multitudes of crowds that were gathering around and trying to just, you know, parcel together a couple things that Jesus was saying. And so the Sermon on the Mount He's sitting, he sits down, and his disciples sit down around him, and he begins to teach, and the crowd is pressing in. They're trying to listen, they're trying to hear, and they sit around him, and there's this great multitude that's gathering around him, and Jesus is teaching them, and he's teaching them a bunch of different things. And specifically, as we pick up in Matthew chapter 6, he's kind of flipping the script on some of the things that they had seen done. He's addressing some of the ways that their spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, had done things and how they'd seen those things done. He says, no, 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 no. That is not how you should do it. You're mistaken. They are doing things so that you can see them, not because they want deep, real relationship with God their Father. And he says, in fact, here's the way to do it. And he talks about giving, and he talks about prayer, and then he spends that section of time giving them an example of, here, if you want to know how to pray, here's a great example on how to do it. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. And then what he does is, after he spends some time talking about prayer, the spiritual discipline of prayer, he picks up here in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 16 through 18, and he starts to talk about fasting. And so follow along with me if you would. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 and eight through 18 says this. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that, you, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so some of you, as I read this passage, you look and you're like, oh, finally, a Sunday where I can kick back, right? I don't need to feel convicted because I don't fast, right? And so I don't need to worry about what I do when I'm fasting because I haven't fasted. So I'm all good, right? I don't need to worry about doing it wrong because I didn't really plan on fasting in the first place. Well, here's the thing. I hate to break it to you, 
But there is one phrase here that is going to really convict you, right? I'm just going to be honest, right? He starts off in verse 16 and he says, and when you fast, right? So the implication here is you're fasting, right? You should be doing this. He says, this should be a practice that happens in your life. He doesn't say, and if you fast, right? If you get around to fasting, if you do this, then you need to worry about this. No, he says, when you fast, he says, this should be a practice. Now, admittedly, he's talking to the Jewish people. If you didn't know, fasting was part of their cultural identity. If you look back in Leviticus chapter 23, which we're not going to go back, the Levitical law is laid out, which is the set of customs and laws and ceremonial rules for the Jewish people, for the Israelites, the, the nation of Israel. And in Leviticus 23, they're told, hey, there needs to be a holiday that you have that is to celebrate or to remember your need for God. And you should spend that time reflecting on the deep need that you have for God. How he has shown up, how he provides, even in the midst of your disobedience. And so it's called the day of atonement, when you're supposed to atone for your sins. And part of atoning for your sins for the Levitical people was remembering how sinful you are. And so they were told, hey, don't eat, dress in sackcloth, and spend that time observing the the Sabbath. Don't do anything except reflect on your need for God and your sin. And so for believers, right, we are not bound by that law. Jesus came and he fulfilled that law. We are not, uh, we are not obligated to follow those customs and to celebrate that holiday. Jesus, he atoned for our sins and he fulfilled that law. And so we are not obligated to fast once a year. But in our understanding of him fulfilling the law, we have looked at fasting as a whole and said, we're done with that, right? Uh, I like to eat, so I will, right? And so we, we have kind of moved away from this idea of fasting. But truthfully, fasting is an incredible tool. It was not meant to just be used on the Day of Atonement. It was meant to be used regularly, and it was meant to be used for that same purpose, reflecting on our need for God. And so Jesus obviously viewed fasting as incredibly important, right? He spends this time taking a picture, taking a time out of his sermon to highlight the necessity of fasting and to explain how to do it. So obviously, what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and the people gathered around is, this is still important, right? Jesus knows what he's about to do. He knows he's there to fulfill the law. He knows he's going to go to the cross, He knows there will be a new covenant in which we don't have to follow every single Levitical law. Yet he still spends this time teaching it because he says, this is something you need to figure out in your spiritual lives. And so this morning, we're going to actually take a look at what fasting is, why we do fasting, and then 
what Jesus is saying specifically in this passage regarding fasting. So if you don't know what fasting is, what fasting is, is fasting is abstaining from something that you regularly have. Okay? Abstaining from something you regularly have. And for uh, throughout scripture and for a majority of people as they think about this, it's about food. Right? We have food and so when we fast, we don't eat. But for us, fasting can be a multitude of things. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I want to be clear. You are not fasting if you just don't have something that you don't already have, right? It's like, oh, you know, I'm fasting from Lamborghinis this week, right? I, I, you know, I, I'll put, you know, my keys, you know, whatever it is. The, we don't have that, right? We don't need to worry about fasting or saying like, you know, I'm going to fast from this. When you've been fasting from that your whole life, that's not fasting, okay? So what fasting is, is it's something that's regular, something that's usually a deep need, or something that has become a need in your life, it's removing that and replacing that with time with God, right? Or replacing that with an understanding of a need for God, right? And the idea was, specifically regarding food, that when you didn't eat, what happens when you don't eat? You get hungry, right? You have hunger pains. And when you have those hunger pains, or when you get hungry, you are reminded Hey, I'm hungry. And in that time when you're hungry, you look and you pray. You turn to prayer, right? Oh, I'm hungry, but I have a deeper hunger for God. Oh, man, I would really like to eat right now. I should spend some time in prayer. But also, as you don't eat, right, you don't have meals. And so that time that you would normally spend eating at a meal You would sit and you would reflect on scripture. You would memorize scripture. You'd read scripture. You'd spend that time in prayer. Whatever that may be, you spend that time doing that. It's to be a time of intense focus on God. Right? I don't have enough time in my day to focus on God. Well, God is a deeper need to me. My relationship with Christ is a deeper need to me than food is. So, maybe I need to cut some of these things out, right? Now, fasting is meant to be a period of time, right? Hopefully you know you can't just not eat. I don't want you to go home and not eat, right? You need to eat. Fasting is meant to be a period of time. And so people set aside different periods of time, right? There's people who've done 12-hour, 24-hour, week. Uh, If you look at Scripture, you know, you could really try and be like Jesus and do 40-day fast, right? He didn't eat for 40 days when he went into the wilderness before he was tempted. We're going to look at that in a little bit. But really that That's the idea. But I want you to understand this morning, right, that it's not just food. There's a lot of other things that you can fast from. So if you're someone who maybe have a medical condition, or maybe you just can't do that for whatever reason, uh, I hate to break it to you again, you're not exempt, right? There's different things that we can fast from, right? You can fast from, or you can do a partial fast, right? Daniel, in Daniel chapter 10, he modifies his diet during an intense time of need for the Lord, and he does it to show and give glory to the Lord. And so he modifies his diet, if that's maybe something you could look at, right? Or maybe you could fast from your phone, right? Some of you would be like, yeah, I would rather not eat for a day than not use my phone for a day. Maybe you need to fast from your phone. 
Or maybe it's social media, or maybe it's TV, or Netflix, or movie, whatever it may be. Maybe that's what you need to, to, to fast from, right? Fasting doesn't just have to be food. Now, when we look at the context of Scripture, uh, they did not have phones. They did not have Netflix. They did not have TV. So what are they fasting from? They're fasting from food. That's what they're talking about. But these things apply, right? This is a tool that we can use. And so we're going to look at it throughout Scripture. And you need to understand that. So the next question is, why do we fast? Why should I fast? Yes, Justin, I understand what fasting is, but I'm not just going to give up my phone for no reason, right? I'm not just going to give up my phone or my food this week for no reason. So turn with me to Psalm chapter 69. Psalm chapter 69, we're going to be in verse 10. Here we see David as he writes, he's talking about this intense time with the Lord. And he says, he does something specifically Newsflash, it's going to be fasting, right? To get that time, to spend that time with the Lord. And we see it in Psalm chapter 69, verse 10 and 11. It says this, When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. And so we see David He's humbling himself. He's using fasting to humble himself before the Lord. It's a way to make sure that you have the right heart. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our culture really pushes arrogance and pride and and boasting of yourself and building yourself up. And there's nothing wrong with being confident in yourself, but so often that pride builds and builds and builds and it bleeds over into our relationship with God. And we start thinking, God, you're lucky to have me. You're lucky that I'm praying at all. You're lucky that I'm memorizing one piece of scripture. But that's not the case. And that shouldn't be how it ever is. And so there are times where we need to truthfully really humble ourselves. Specifically in great times of need, right? There's times where we're in need and we're just trying to work and we're trying to push and we're trying to put it on ourselves and we're trying to do it all. But we can't. We can't. We won't ever be able to do that. And so fasting is a great time to humble ourselves and remind ourselves where our needs are met. And it's before God. But why is this such a humbling thing? Right? Why is fasting such a humbling thing? Well, as you don't eat, you are reminded of your frailty. Of how much, truthfully, you really need. Right? How much you're like, man, I just don't eat and it's like I'm weak. I'm more angry all of a sudden. I'm more frustrated. I'm constantly thinking back and relying on these things and my mind seems to not be able to think about anything but food. You start to realize how focused, single-minded yourself is. How weak, how How much in need you are. And that time of fasting, it really shows you of your deep need for food. 
but your real deep need for God. Right? And this was used specifically on the Day of Atonement to, to spend that time thinking about how in need you are. Specifically as a sinner. Right? As sinners in need of a Savior, we need Christ Jesus. And for the, the Jewish people of the time, they were in need of atonement, which came through the Levitical system. But we, as believers today, as we fast, we are reminded of our deep need for Jesus Christ, who is Savior, right? How we were created in this world that was perfect, and through our sin, we had separated ourselves from God. And how this separation left us weak, left us in need of repair. And how Christ Jesus, when he came and he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross for our sins, paid the price, was the atonement. And then he rose again, showing that he was, in fact, God, and that he had, in fact, paid our debt. And so we see there is this beautiful picture of the gospel, but as we fast, we are reminded once again of our need for God, right? Of being back, right? Of, of that deep need for God. We have this understanding of our need for food, but do we really have our understanding of a need for the Lord? But we also see there is another picture, another reason why we fast. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. And in Ezra, uh, the Israelites, they were, they were uh, taken away. They're foreigners in another land. They were in exile. And Ezra is going to re return. And he was going to rebuild the temple. And he was going to put together uh, the works of the law. And he was looking to, uh, to found Israel again, right? To, to bring people back. And during this time, right, it was this trying time where they didn't know what was going to happen. And they were scared and they were afraid and they needed provision. They needed all these different things. And so what does Ezra do? If you look, Ezra chapter 8, verse 21 through 23, it says this. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava. That we might humble ourselves, right? There's that great picture of humility in fasting. We might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against our enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Right? There's this great picture of Ezra and these people. And he declares this fast where they humble themselves. But why do they do that? They do that to seek God intensely. There's been times in my life, right, where I've had really hard decisions. I've been really confused. Or I didn't really know what was going on. And instead of taking time... To earnestly seek God, to humble myself, I tried to work it out on my own. Let me tell you, it didn't go well. And so the picture that we see here from Ezra is he uses this tool, fasting, 
to seek wisdom and understanding, to seek direction, to spend the time with the Lord in intense relationship when he is at a deep and critical need. Some of you are at that point today. Some of you have deep and critical needs going on in your life today. A great way to make sure that you're seeking the Lord is to fast. During times of incredible mourning, in times of intense need, in times of hurt, in times of important decisions, this is a tool that can be used. It's a tool that can help you seek God and make sure you're not leaning on your own understanding. Make sure you're not leaning on your own effort. Make sure you're not trying to work it out with your hands and trying to figure it out on your own accord, but to truly rely on the Lord because you're relying on him for sustenance. You're relying on him in times where you're taking the meals and where you're taking when you're hungry and you're turning to him, right? To turn to him and implore him to really truthfully seek him. And so we see this, this picture, right, of how Ezra uses this tool to seek God in intense times of need. And that is how we can also use fasting. The last thing, though, is found in Matthew chapter 4, right? So if you went to Matthew chapter 6, if you stayed in Matthew chapter 6, you only got to go two chapters back. In Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus, and, and like I said, right, he, he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And as he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he's met by Satan. Satan shows up to tempt him. And Jesus has a very interesting answer to his first temptation. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 2, it says this. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights... He was hungry. Jesus. I love that verse. And it's not just to know that Jesus was hungry like me. It's to see that Jesus was not just some lofty angelic being. Right? Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was human. He got hungry. Right? And so after this 40 days and 40 nights, it's this very simple verse where it says, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. Jesus was in physical need. He was physically starving, hungry. But we see, even in the midst of this time, even in the midst of this frailty, even in the midst of his need, he reminds Satan of humanity's true need. It says this, Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. A very simple task, right? If you're hungry, Jesus, you have the power, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus answers with this, verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but... On every word that comes from the mouth of God. Even in the midst of his deep hunger, he had spent that time reflecting on the real need. What was the real need? The word of God. Some of you have a deep need for the word of God that you're ignoring. We all have a deep need for the word of God, but... You are starving yourself of the word of God. 
You spend more time on what you think you need, which is your phone or the TV, but not on the true need, which is the word of the Lord. That is where your need can be met. That is where you can find satisfaction. He has this, he gives this reminder, right? And I, I, I love that this, this is recorded because it's a reminder that the word of God is more necessary than anything else in our world. Do we treat it like that? Do we treat it like that? Jesus was hungry, Jesus was starving, and he still reflects on the word of God. He still meets temptation with the word of God. He says that is more necessary. And he says, remember that. Don't let it fall to the background. Don't let it become something that becomes a want. It's more than a want. It's need. That is what sustains you. And so if we jump back, right, to Matthew chapter 6, in verse 17 and 18, Jesus, he's addressing this idea of fasting. He says, here, you should see the need. And hopefully this morning you see the need that fasting plays. You see this as a tool to be used that shouldn't be something that, that's ignored. He says, as you do this, reflect on this, these things. He condemns them. He says, this is how you've messed it up. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, but that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Because here's the thing, what the Pharisees were doing, they were doing it for people to see, right? They would go down, and on the days that they were fasting, they would go down to the market square, and they would dress in rags. They wouldn't get their hair all together. They'd leave themselves disheveled. They'd put ash on their face. They'd make sure they stank. So that when people looked at them, they're like, oh, that Pharisee's fasting. Wow, look how holy he is. He's, he's really humbling himself on the outside. But over and over and over in Scripture, we're showed that Jesus cares about the heart. You see, they are missing the point. They were dressing themselves on the outside because their pride was inflating on the inside. They were missing it. And, and truthfully, throughout this section in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is just hammering home this idea of it's not about showing spirituality. Right? He does it with prayer. He does it with giving. He's doing it with fasting. He says it's not about making this picture for other people to see. It should be about your heart. He says you have a tendency to care more about what other people see or how other people view you or what's comfortable for you than doing what you need. He says that plays out in your priorities. You can see it. And so we have to remember our deep deep need for God. And where that comes from is a heart of humility. A heart that is not about show. It's not about being this big Christian for everyone to see. It's about doing what it takes to have that deep relationship with Christ. So if you want to be close to God, if you're feeling at a distance from God or you're like, man, I, I, I can't seem to figure out this spiritual life, I would encourage you, the first place you need to look at is your heart. Is there humility there? 
What's the heart behind the things you do? What's the heart behind you seeking the Lord? And I'd encourage you to remember to practice these spiritual disciplines, to use the tools which you've been given to seek God. And I'll push you a little bit. If you don't feel close to God, it's probably for one of two reasons. Either you're practicing these spiritual disciplines with the wrong heart, or you aren't at all. And so this week, I'd love to encourage you, maybe take a look at fasting. Maybe do like a 24-hour fast, or maybe, you know, plan a fast for in the, for the next couple weeks. Maybe a fast from so, social media or your phone for a day, or maybe it is, you know, a 24-hour fast from food. But use the tool that God has given you. Don't just, you know, go about life and say, oh, you know, I'll figure it out as I go. You know, I don't have to use that. It's a little bit too difficult to figure out how that fits into my life. I'm here to tell you, it's important. The Lord talks about it over and over in Scripture. It's this picture of our need for God. I don't know about you, but I have a need for God. Sometimes I forget. Take this time. Take time this week to start figuring out how to practice things in which God encourages us to do, to deepen our relationship with him. Let's pray together.